From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, that Christmas elf, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. We're 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 actually uh, taking you on a little backstage, you know, magic here. We 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 are saving up. We're recording way in advance. Exactly. Some of our episodes because we're heading into the holiday season. So this is um our first day of no rain in I think it's like a week. And as desperate as we are for rain, it is so nice yeah. not to have rain. There are, like, no outdoor decorations up because nobody's had a chance to put them up. Except one family did on our court because he did it on Thanksgiving morning. And that was, like, it. So, um, but otherwise doing well. So, um, you know, starting to get Christmas decorations up, things like that. Yeah, it's, so. They're all up around here, so I've been... It's been nice driving around at night, getting to see more and more. So it feels like the only people who aren't decorating for the holidays are the ones that live directly across from, like, where my office window is. So Mm -hmm. I have nothing to look at. But uh, basically, most of the houses on my street, like, on my side of the street are all decorated, so everyone across the way is getting a great uh, a great show every single night. Just just not us, so... <laughs> but, hey, that's, that's life. It's, yeah. it's when you decide that your decorations you put up are more for you to know that you have them up than, than for to try to motivate other people. But, hey, maybe they'll all bump, jump into the Christmas spirit sooner than later. Or they won't. Oh, I'm sure you will. So, soon as things settle down. Yeah. Because so, I know you've had a lot going on. So, but um, but speaking of holidays, again, this is going to give folks an idea of when we're recording. For our, our Connecting with Walt family who celebrate Hanukkah, Hanukkah begins tonight at sundown. So, that's when we're recording. Yeah. And so, um, so, for everybody celebrating the Festival of Lights, um, Craig and I and everyone at the Diz um, want to wish you all just a happy, joyous, you know, wonderful um, Hanukkah. And we hope that for the next eight days, it is festive and that you are able to be surrounded by all those you love. Yes. So. I agree. Yeah. Also, uh, the G- Give Kids the World auction uh, just ended, basically. Yeah. I think, what, yesterday as of this recording. So, so Craig, you, you want to give us an update? How did it go? I, it was a huge success. So we, I believe, I, I know Pete was, was live streaming in the morning, like leading up mm-hmm. to the auction ending. I didn't watch any of that. I was, uh, I was actually sleeping in. So yeah. it's... Not many Saturdays happen uh, where I 
I actually feel like I need to sleep in, but that was one of them. And uh, so I, I missed it, but I, I know the... I think what ended up happening was that he accepted some of the experiences he would do um, if the second person that just lost out on the bidding, if they also wanted to match their donation that they were willing to do, then he would uh, give, he would honor both of them. And so, like, two dinners for him, I think, and maybe, like, two of the, the dining reviews ones. And uh, with with that, that put us over the 100,000 mark. Oh, wow, but, that's wonderful. Um, I, I know that just without doing that, we were like right there anyways like we were we were within i want to say I, th- I think it was somewhere around 97,000 without without needing to do that to add in the, the little bit extra so just just more successful than than i think we we ever expected so um it's uh, like i've said sometimes it's we uh we we started the entire thing off hoping to do fifty thousand by the end of the week and by the end of the auction end time and then that once we did it right after the live show it was like okay well what's what's the next goal seventy five eighty hundred thousand and it's just it's been a massive success and uh, you know it's we started on a holiday weekend that's well known for shopping and. Uh, you know, instead of instead of people running out spending their money on gifts and presents for a lot of people, a lot of people donated. A lot of people did get in on the bidding on it. So I was completely taken aback by it, but it's all just been really wonderful. So to everyone out there who's listening, who either donated in the auction or or was a winner of one of the items in the bidding wars, then. Congratulations! So, and thank you so yes. much for helping us in our in our goals with this. It's, it's just oh, been yeah. amazing. Yes, thank you everybody for your generosity, and it's such a just a worthwhile charity. Exactly, you know, and just bringing happiness to children that you know the rest of their days may be a challenge, but to give them a week where they don't have to worry about it, and their families don't have to worry about it. Where they can experience the magic that you know of of theme parks, you know that we just do without thinking about it. So, um, you know, you, you're touching the lives of people that you know appreciate it and will be remembering you in their prayers, and you know that you've never met, and that that's like a double blessing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. And I definitely believe, you know, what goes around comes around. So I think those those blessings will come back on you as well. Yes, so. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know, we were talking uh, off fair before the show, Craig, and I were talking about holiday spirit and getting into it. We talked a little about it on the show. Um, but, well, I, you know, I've been watching Christmas films and stuff. Craig and I talked about one that we, yeah. off air, that we, that I think I had more of an appreciation for than you do. Uh, but Kylie likes it. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, Elf. I had not seen Elf since our children were little, and I really liked it. I'd forgotten I enjoyed it. Craig, um, is not one of your favorite Christmas films. No, it's not. I, I, I will say I watch it, and 
because I do what I need to do to, to make my wife happy. So I watch it. And I, I even had that on TV last night. Um, I had to oh, do some other things so I couldn't, I couldn't stay for the whole movie, unfortunately. And I think she fell asleep anyways. But <laughs> I, I tolerate it at least once or twice every year. So. Yeah. I watched it last night, too. How funny. Yes, I like that. But what I also watched, I'd recorded it, was the ABC TV Christmas special Disney Parks Magical Christmas Celebration. Because, you know, this is part one of their two-part celebration. Because then we have the infamous Disney Christmas Parade, which I don't think they – I think they took the word parade out. Exactly. Is always on. Because there's, like, one float, if you're lucky, um, that, you know – that they um they air of course on Christmas morning, but uh, Craig, did you see this? I didn't. Special? No, I haven't had time to watch it yet, but uh, I will. I will. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not as much of a commercial as the Christmas morning one, uh, you know. And they have a lot of. Uh, first of all, you know, I'm getting old because I didn't know who half these people were that they had on. I mean, I I knew Gwen Stefani, you know, and stuff like that. But well, we know uh, Jordan Fisher was on it. Because he's oh, in boy. everything. He is. He is in everything. Because I started to watch the Disney Channel um, 25 Days of Christmas. I, I'm going to save that for next week <laughs> talking about it. Because I'm only at Jordan Fisher in it. And they basically, they must have recorded that show at the same time. Because Gwen Stefani was the opening act. Yeah. Uh, the only difference is the Disney Channel one was recorded in daylight. And yeah. the... the the ABC TV Christmas special one was recorded at night because their big thing is Tinkerbell's flying to all the Disney parks around the world showing the Christmas lighting of the castles, but it's not the Christmas lighting of all the castles because they sing um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King, which I know, Craig, is one of your favorite holiday um christmas song it absolutely you know? is yeah so. and and they, they sing it in the um you know the native language of wherever it is so that's interesting and then they do a lighting which is just probably from whatever christmas or from whatever normal fireworks castle show they do there wasn't anything particularly holidayish about it hmm. the interesting thing is is that the hong kong castle which is very similar to disneyland california's castle is behind walls so i'm not too sure how they filmed that one so um because of course that castle is being reimagined and yeah. part of it is actually been taken down for the new construction so um so i i don't know carol watched it from her um hospital broom and she asked did they use segments of this from last year and I said, I don't know. I don't remember last year's. Yeah, well, they probably did. So if they can reuse something and save yeah. the money, why not? Yeah. That's... But it was enjoyable. It was fine. You know, uh, it, it, you know it, it was pretty standard. Yeah. Um, of course, they end it with, um, which was interesting, with, I don't even know who the two people were who sang. One was a country singer. One was, a, a, I guess, a very well-known um, female artist who, when her first go round at whatever she sang, what were all her own songs, none of which were Christmas. I thought seriously, but then she did sing a Christmas song, um, a duet with this um, country um, male artist, and it was I thought, well, this is ironic given the news 
um, lately over this Christmas carol. Um, baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. So I thought, okay. I thought that was funny. So anyway, but so so un, uh, anyway, and then um, so definitely catch it. I think it's it's it was fine. Yeah. you know. No, so. I I'll, I'll sit down and watch it eventually. So I know. Well, best thing is now that I, I've missed it on the original air date, I can always just skip past any section that I don't really care about. Yeah, well, that was a good thing. So I skipped through the commercials yeah. and all that. So, but uh, they also one of the things I did. Speaking of Christmas, is when I arrived at Walt Disney World prior to Destination D. The first thing I did first night, um, one of our listeners, Brandon, took me. He met me at Disney Springs, and because he had picked up a popcorn bucket or two for me, um, the holiday ones. And um, we went through the Christmas trees at Disney Springs. And I'm sure you've seen them, Craig, because I think you've you've oh, put yeah. up stuff. And I was really impressed with them. Yeah, it's I, it's getting better and better every year they do it. The first year it was really sad. Um, mm-hmm. It was a nice thought, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything impressive at all. But now, like... Last year improved a decent amount, and this year it's, I would consider it a genuine, something that you should go out of your way. It's like a genuine attraction, something you do need to see. Yeah, Yeah, and they were themed to films, um, pretty much. They were all, it was all different films, very cleverly done. They made it clear when (laughs) when certain ornaments were available. Exactly. At the Christmas shop or at the World of Disney shop. But, but yeah, but some of the ornaments I liked were not available, and they were the ones I thought, oh, I'd like to have that on my tree. And then they had a a couple park ones. You know, they had a Walt Disney World tree and all that. But I thought they were all cleverly, very cleverly done, very beautiful. They would have snowfall, you know, every once in a while. Um, I, I had a, a cast member who also listens to the show, uh, who I guess he was in charge of that area. He um, he let me, he gave me uh, a peppermint cotton candy, oh. and and it was very good. Except it, it was hot and humid that day, and it just like almost immediately shrunk. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. cotton candy in Florida a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess there's gingerbread cotton candy. I never got a chance to go back and try that, but, but um, Brandon told me it was cinnamony. Huh. And um, and then I won. Then they had um, eggnog. I don't know slushies or something. I don't know what they had. They had an eggnog one and a chocolate one, or like frozen whips. And the chocolate one they wasn't ready yet, so I had the eggnog one. It was very good and very mm. filling. Yeah, I had the chocolate one later on in a. I think it was in a different park. Didn't care for that hmm. as much. It tasted a little artificial to me. Um, I didn't like the taste of the chocolate. Yeah. But the eggnog one is definitely worth it if you like eggnog. So, Good to know. Um, and, and since it was warm that night, it was great. It, it was a nice nice holiday thing. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then... Um, I did. Uh, what else did I do? There was something else that's going to be. Oh, what really ticked me off, though, as uh, you know, I'm going through the trees. How many guests touch the ornaments and fondle them and handle them and touch them for photos? And children are, are manhandling them as parents stand there thinking how adorable they are or they're on their phones. Yeah. Like, really? I mean, haven't you people learned you don't touch these things? 
But that's the issue is that people just don't, they genuinely don't care anymore. It's as long as their kids aren't causing them an issue, it seems like that's enough for them to just ignore what's happening around them. Yeah, it just bothers me. And adults are doing this too. And it, it's, I thought, you know, you can see it without touching it. Yeah. Well. You know? And some had to pose. This is interesting. I think it was a cultural thing. They had to pose as they were touching an ornament. Oh, good. You know, they had to pose good. for a photo. And I didn't get that at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway. <laughs> but, but anyway, but I noticed it, it, it did seem to be a cultural kind of thing. So, um, anyway. So fun. It, yeah, yeah. My other big highlight was I went on the Wild Africa trip at Animal Kingdom. That, that was, was fantastic. Nice. Really, really good. The guides were great. You know, they, they, they sort of um, cinch you up and you go behind the scenes on the safari um you know you get to pull over and really look at the animals uh and you have guides there telling you everything yeah yeah about animal kingdom about the animals you get to actually go hike I, I, we were hiking way in the badlands of animal kingdom yeah because you know we went to the hippo pool you go over these bridges where there are crocodiles swimming under you one was swimming under me as we as i was walking along i thought i think he's shopping for breakfast or something and then um and then partway through we had a uh this really good snack in in one of those tiffin you know yeah those those tin and, and it was filling it was really good uh, with um sort of appetizers that were like fruits and things like that and then meats and cheeses and breads and all that and then these desserts and uh, it was excellent and with something they called jungle juice but i guess around the park they call it different things yeah but it was these di- it was it was very refreshing and um it was great it was just really really well done it was, it was it was worth it and then they take a million photos of you and then they give you a link to where the photos are and they're good for 90 days and you can download them and all that so um if people want to do something different unusual and you like animal kingdom or you like animals i really highly recommend this yeah that's on my my list to do one day just never have been able to time it right but i'll get it eventually yeah yeah i heard the the hippo um, encounter whatever it is is good yeah too so i definitely want to do that yes no that's so, lots of cool stuff yeah yeah definitely so okay well you know on, on november 17th and 18th d23 the official disney fan club held their destination d event celebrating mickey mouse the contemporary resort of walt disney world now in our last episode craig and i shared what we learned from the presentations that discussed mickey mouse so in this episode, we're going to talk about the presentations covering um, Disney theme parks, films, um, D23 events, and miscellaneous topics. So, you know, so we're, we're skipping back and forth over the two days. And you're going to hear me um, going through my notes and things like that. So, uh, so anyway, so, uh, so it was interesting. So if you missed last week's episode and want to hear all about Mickey, um, definitely want to... Um, want to do that so go back and listen to that episode so so probably the big big 
event, big presentation that people were really excited about, was the uh, one by Bob Chapik, who is chairman of Disney Park Experiences and Consumer Products, and it was titled, It Was All Started by a Mouse. Uh, you know, they started out with a very touching um, video, Jonathan's story, you know, about uh, about a young man and his life journey and, and going to Disney theme parks and yeah. how... Disney Impact. So, I mean, they they showed a couple of um, of of f- films during the the course of the day that I I think ended up like on. I've seen them now on television. Yeah, a lot of them have been on social media or television already. So yeah. um, it's just uh, it was making sure that everyone got to see it if they haven't already before. Yeah. So basically what he did is he ran through a lot, you know, of what's going on around the parks and all that. So knew it. So he started out with um, Epcot. Now, some of these were things we knew and some of these that he gave a little more information about. And we saw some uh, for a lot of these, we saw more updated concept art, you know, or little uh, snippets a video and stuff like that. So it's it was good. So yeah. of course at Ep- Epcot, he started out there talked about new attractions and dining options. So of course they brought up the space themed restaurant again. So and I still don't quite have a handle on exactly where that's going. It's going that literally there is space right between Mission Space and Test Track. Okay. So it's I mean it's it's enough space to make that area work. I don't think it's going to be a large restaurant at all. Well, that's what I was so. thinking because when I went, you know, when I was at the park and I, you know, I tried to see the space there and I thought it doesn't seem really large. Yeah, but if you think about it, like the a lot of the restaurants, especially around World Showcase, are in a very small footprint. Like I think about Rose and Crown and how mm-hmm. tiny that is. And it's just, I mean, it's plopped right there. So you don't need a lot of space for it, but it's, we'll, we'll see if it's good. So since, since Disney's not doing the actual menu for it, and I believe it's, it's either Landry's or Patina. I can't remember which one of the two off the top of my head, but, um, it could be, could be great. could be mediocre, could be awful, but it will be there. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. So, of course, then he brought up, you know, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. Yeah, this was the announcement of the actual name of the attraction. So Mm -hmm. before it was just the Ratatouille attraction. And now we know it's going to be Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, which uh, seems unnecessary. But I, I don't know why it can't just be Ratatouille and just leave it at that. But uh it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it didn't seem very creative, but um oh well. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to make sure everybody knew the name of the the rat. I don't know. I and then that probably has something to play into it. So, um it, it's just it, it seems unnecessary because everyone's going to just call it Ratatouille anyways. So, mm-hmm. why why take the time? to come up with that and say it adds to the story or anything when it's just going to be everyone calling it Ratatouille. Have you done Ratatouille? Have you done Ratatouille? Just call yeah. it Ratatouille. Call it what it is. Yeah. But. Yeah. 
I agree. So there's um, a new uh, Circle Vision um, film coming to the China Pavilion. Yeah, and we found out about that at uh, the D23 Expo in 2017. So mm-hmm. the big thing about that was that it was that they announced that it would be obviously very high resolution video and then also that it would be uh, turned into a seamless experience so there would not be breaks in the in the screen like there currently is in the circle vision films that are at Walt Disney World and so this was this was huge uh, in terms of an upgrade for that film uh, the one question I did have it the D23 Expo, when they announced this, was, okay, you're doing it for China, but then you have Canada, oh, Canada right across the way, that's also still with this old technology. Granted, it had an update a lot more recently when they they added Martin Short in there, but still, it was the same technology. If you're upgrading it in China, why aren't you upgrading it there? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, Bob Chapek uh, filled us in that it would be also receiving the same same type of technological update so yeah oh canada's getting updated yeah that's great yeah so um and i hope they get away from having recognizable stars hosting it yeah i I think that that dates it you know almost immediately exactly if they want to if they want a star to host it find a star from that country find another canadian who's not like big but everyone knows who they are at least in canada and it'll be it'll be new to to the united states and other people visiting um mm-hmm. from other countries and canadians can take a little pride in the fact that uh, it's they're getting one of their celebrities in the limelight for it if they had to do that at all yeah so yeah so uh and then of course the one that everybody's waiting for uh guardians of the galaxy you know the e-ticket attraction coming to the old energy pavilion um what it's supposed to be one of the largest and most innovative indoor coasters it's going to be a storytelling coaster uh it's supposed to open in 2021 and it's a uh, um that they did talk about the attraction vehicle and its uniqueness did you want to talk a little about that craig yeah it's um it's it it was old news by the time it got to Destination yeah. D because they already uh, made a big deal for it at IAPA. But essentially, it's just uh, it's on the roller coaster. It, it's a roller coaster, but the vehicles are able to move around, I believe, at 360 degrees, and they're able to control it uh, where you're looking at it. So kind of Omnimover-style system with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, from the video that they showed, it does look... Like, they'll be able to do a lot with it in terms of where they're directing you with it. But the video also showed that the the roller coaster was moving quickly while they were making these decisions. Um, it, it's not... This isn't anything, like, new because Universal did this a couple of years ago with uh, the Escape from Gringotts inside the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Took a Took a roller coaster vehicle and made it so you could turn to move but they ultimately came to this decision that for a lot of it you had to slow down and stop so you can actually see what's happening um Mm -hmm. and so i don't i don't know if disney's gonna try to make it kind of more like hyperspace mountain where you see the stuff as you're moving past it you don't have a lot of time to like take 
take it all in because it's constantly moving. But um, it, it should be interesting. I'm I, I'm excited for it. It's I don't I still don't think it's going in the right area, but I'm I'm excited for it nonetheless. And I'm and I was shocked by how huge the show building is because I mean and then when you're back at the opposite world showcase and you're looking at say ship earth and then there's this giant building to the right of it the whole symmetry now of world showcase is gone yeah well people were ticked off about you know soren when that came out and their their massive show building this this is just dwarf set um, oh yeah, and what do they say? Four spaceship Earths will fit inside the show building of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's big, but it'll be exciting to see in twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, I, I'm just disappointed at you know just what it's doing to the you know the silhouette, whatever you call yeah, it. Yeah, I just heart. I mean, that's. That's going to be one of those things where 30 years from now, no one's going to care about it at all. But there will still be some of us out there who are like, I remember when it, they did think about that. So that's yeah. it's out the window, though. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, another change that's coming is in the French Pavilion. Now, everybody just assumes, um, you know, Impressions de France would be replaced. People love that film, the nostalgic look at France. Um, that's not going away, apparently. But yeah. what is being added, of course, is something we've all desperately wanted from the the excitement that Bob Chapek put in this. And uh, they're adding a Beauty and the Beast sing-along that I guess is being produced by Don Hahn. Yeah, no, it's it is being produced by Don Hahn. It's just I don't. This one just it's a mind boggler for me. Mm-hmm. I, I understand why they would want to do it. I I am assuming deep down that it's going to be similar to how they did the Frozen sing along in Disney's Hollywood Studios. But it just I I don't know if it felt necessary. It's between what what's already available. In France, with Impressions de France, having Remy's Ratatouille Adventure on the way, having uh, a very popular dining location, a table service with La Chasse de France. Also, the fact that the ice cream shop's insanely popular there. The the quick service all the way in the back is popular oh, as well. Too. Yeah, yeah, the patisserie. It's there's already so many things happening in France. I I get that Beauty and the Beast was a massive success. It was a huge hit for them. They want to take advantage of that. But there's already enough happening in France that they don't need to make it even more of a cluster. Yeah. But I but, was surprised yeah. they didn't they didn't announce anything for the United Kingdom because there had been rumors of, you know, a little spinny ride or something being put in there. But um Yeah, that's I mean some people take more stock in those rumors. Than than others, so I, I do know that a lot of them were gaining a lot of traction. But it, ultimately, too, it's kind of like with the United Kingdom, it feels like between that and Canada, there's always has to be at least one rumor going on yeah. about an attraction <laughs> coming to either of those. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've been reading that since 2000. 
if not earlier yeah. than that, and nothing's still happening. So um, that'll Why don't be, stay in the rumor yeah. mill for now. What'll be interesting is I'm wondering if Mary Poppins Returns is the hit they are praying for. Um, if they'll dust off con- the concept for the Mary Poppins attraction and update it, who knows? Was, you know, the, you know the original concept for Magic Kingdom. Yeah, so, um, by um, Tony Baxter. Yeah. It could be, so, but it could also yeah, be cheaper yeah. to just do the Mary Poppins Returns sing along. <laughs> Yeah, but they'd have to build a theater. Oh, that's that's simple. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, that would be horrible. But anyway, okay. Then, um, then he went, and that was about it for uh, attractions that he talked about there. Yeah, um, the only other thing there was the, um, it was really the nighttime show, and the yeah, Epcot Forever. Yeah, um, well, and even it's, a couple of things. Yeah, uh, the big part was. That you wanted to push was um, was the new illuminations, which mm-hmm. we knew would be very Disney oriented with Disney music, uh, and there's there has been between fans a lot of questions about how that would be handled, and uh, we got our first glimpse of some of the concepts behind the show, and it is very very Disney, but it's. Yeah, it's supposed to it's supposed to open in 2020 or debut in 2020. So it's supposed to celebrate how Disney music affects people around the world. Yeah, um, there's supposed to be floating um, show pieces, um, you know, projections, pyrotechnics, that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely looked like an, the next step. Um, not going to like a world of color show, but also kind of taking maybe some elements of that uh, with this while taking elements of what they've done with Rivers of Light and with just other shows that they've they've put on and performed too so I think it's just like a lot a lot of combination of elements with it but uh, you know that and that was great that they they wanted to show it off a little bit more build up some excitement and hype for it but it was really epcot forever the in-between show that they're doing that i think at least from the people that i was around was what caught their attention more than anything because we're talking about a it will be a a nighttime spectacular in in world showcase that it literally represents epcot's past and in present with taking some of the classic Epcot music and setting it to the fireworks and fountains and all of that. So it's, mm-hmm. it sounds like a great tribute to Epcot that many fans of Epcot would have always dreamed of, but never really expected. And we're getting mm-hmm. it. So, um, it's just, just temporarily though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be called Epcot Forever after Illumination ends, so this will be in 2019. And it's going to feature, yeah, like you said, the epic tunes, uh, Bob Chapek said, from Epcot. And there's going to be lasers, uh, flying kites or something I've written down here, and uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's so, going to be, uh, I'm excited for this one. I'm, I'm excited yeah. for new Illuminations, too, but uh, this one seems more up my, my alley, more my speed. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, uh, they talked about the Disney Skyliner, and they debuted the new gondola uh, at yeah. Destination D, and you could take a look at it, and you know, and um, 
take photos of it and op- and all that. And that opens the fall of 2019. I saw a lot of the construction during that time. That yeah, I was it's there. very overwhelming all around property, but it is. But it'll be wrapped up pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. getting getting is closer. It's going to be interesting. I wonder how long the trip's going to be to get around on that. I have a feeling it's going to be somewhere between five and ten minutes in between each location. So, really? Well, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, no they they move they move very quickly. So hmm. it's it's a very quick, safe, reliable form of transportation. So especially in a hurricane. It's and the thing is though. <laughs> It's I. Everyone makes a big deal out of that, and it rains in Florida all the time. It's always bad. It's uh, my grass in the front yard is telling me that we have not gotten a lot of rain lately. So it's sometimes people have to set aside their their preconceived notions of Florida. Even the people that live here, sometimes I wonder if they never go outside because they just say, "Oh, yep, three o'clock showers, they're coming." It's like, well, no. We had like a year where it didn't rain at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they talked about some of the new resorts coming online, like the Disney Riviera Resort will be opening the fall of 2019. And it's one of four major Walt Disney World hotel projects. Uh, over at Coronado Springs, um, the tower there is called the Grand Destino Tower. Uh-huh. And, they, and that will be the new entrance to Coronado Springs, and that really surprised me about that. Yeah, it's and, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Well, we've talked about it on previous shows. I'm just not impressed with the design, so I'm hoping I will be surprised. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then uh, over at Fort Wilderness, uh, they gave it the name of that new. Lodge and DVC Resort um, Reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge at Fort Wilderness. Oh. It's, uh, I think it was Pete who said it, that it's great that they named it after a rehab facility, but um, <laughs> oh, really? I, I mean, obviously I don't think so, but it does kind of sound like that. Uh, it just sounds so I I don't know. It's, it sounds like butterflies and unicorns and all that. Reflections. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's ultimately, it's still not going to be peaceful when, when you got everyone running through the lobby screaming. You're not going to be doing a lot of reflecting in that moment. Well, but, and it just doesn't seem to fit into the theme of the whole Fort Wilderness. The, the well, that's because themes themes are dying, and it's I, I understand why. So it's themes date very easily in a lot of cases with what what they've done in some cases it hasn't but other cases it has entirely Mm. so anyway i don't know and then of course the hotel lots of star wars fans are waiting for and that is the um a hotel that's going to be a first class space station immersing you in the star wars universe um this this was way more intricate than I ever imagined. I mean, I mean, when you when you check in, you board a star pod to travel to the starship. I mean, Craig, I, I, you're you're a big Star Wars fan. I mean, do you want to talk about this? This sounded amazing. Yeah, it's 
it was amazing how little information he gave in like the 30 seconds he dedicated to it. But mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, it's it just I, they're trying to let everyone know that they are taking care of the story and trying to make sense out of it. So when you pull up, you you will eventually board your star pod and you'll be transported to the hotel. So it's they're keeping that intact because then it's you need to find a way to actually logistically go from from where you are right outside of Hollywood Studios into space and the only way to do that is is by setting up a story where it allows it so we know that that's going to be a thing and then got also got the confirmation that it was it's going to be very much like a cruise line experience mm-hmm. and that it's it's going to be it's it has to be that that sort of everyone has to come and go at the exact same time in order to keep the story intact and that's that's something that that it's uh, the first person i had ever heard to to even speculate on that was tracy heinrichs one of our dreams agents on a on a dream show and ever since she brought that up it's been it's been the only thing that's ever made sense and Basically, yeah, it seems like that's going to be the concept they're going for. So don't know any more details beyond that. Don't know how stays are going to be broken down and and anything else in that realm. But it's it's coming. Just we don't know when. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, does that mean every time I go into this hotel, I've got to get on a star pod? I thought that could get old really soon. Though. Well, you won't because you'll be in a blacked out between Hollywood Studios and... and um, in the actual galaxy, or between Hollywood Studios and the hotel, you'll be on a shuttle where I'm sure it will be all blocked out with, with monitors or something similar to like uh, something like the Hogwarts Express. So you won't even know technically that that you're moving outside. Like I, I genuinely don't see this as a thing where it's like, oh, I want to come and stay in this hotel, but I want to go to Magic Kingdom. I don't. I think this is going to be a complete separate experience that you're coming you're coming to be here and you're you're staying in this this experience. How interesting. Okay. So. Yeah, and and this it'll be interesting to see how um what this is like. Yeah. <laughs> how 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 much of the original concept when it opens remains after a few years. Yeah, no, it's it it'll either be a smashing success or it will be a massive failure, and they will have to just backtrack and make it a simple hotel. Yeah. So now, and now, and then, of course, that led right into Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and Bob Chapek said this will redefine what people expect from a theme park. The land is the experience, and he uh, talked about you know how you can live your very own Star Wars story. In this, um, John Williams is composing original themes for the new land, and they showed a clip of the construction with uh, some of John Williams' score for it. So, um, anyway, and then there are um, there's going to be uh, like experiences at, at Batu. Um, they talked about like um, Star Wars Millennium Falcon. It's called Smuggler's Run. Yep. So. And so we're the smugglers, and we have one of three roles in the cockpit. And whatever goes on in there, in, 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 in all of the attractions, can follow us 
as we around um, Galaxy's Edge as we as we wander the land. So we you may, may interact with based on what if we're successful or not, characters will interact with us yeah. if we're in the cantina or whatever. So that's an interesting concept as well. So um, yeah, I so agree. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, there's another attraction where we join the resistance uh, and we're taken prisoner, the First Order. And I think that one is the Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. Yes. Yeah. And and they shared a clip from the attraction and talk about how this is really epic in scale. And this is where, you know, those early photos uh, in, in the show building showed the full size um, at-ats or AT-ATs. So. Yeah, no, and they and they showed us a clip that's now online. Hopefully, you've seen it by now, and uh, it's like they showed actual footage of inside the attraction, and it is just beautifully recreated. So mm-hmm. uh, the kind of like you were talking about the Christmas tree trail, though, it's going to come down to people uh, respecting the attraction in order to keep it up and make it keep it beautiful on the inside. So. Let's hope we can trust people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, now, like I mentioned, what happens in the attractions will follow you into the land, but it, you have to use the Play Disney app yes. for that to happen. So you do have a choice, I guess, in whether you want to be fully interactive or not in this experience. Yeah. So, so that's good. Because, like, I might want to try this, but if Carol's with me, I she might not want to be quite as interactive. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, of course, at Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland is opening summer of 2019, and Walt Disney World the fall of 2019. So, um, so was there any? Um, is there anything I've left out of Galaxy's Edge? No, no. Before we move on, no. So, okay, and then. Um, then they moved on to how uh, they talked about Make a Wish, and they uh, how so you know so and of course we just talked about the Diz's contribution um, over this past couple of weeks to that. Well, he, well, they talked about how the Walt Disney Company has granted one hundred and thirty thousand wishes for Make a Wish since the nineteen eighties. Um, one of two wishes. Uh, made are for a Disney experience. So, and then of course they talked about the Mickey Share Your Ears campaign. So, uh, you know, where if you post um, a photo of yourself with the ears, and there are a lot of photo opportunities around the parks, um, and with the hashtag Share Your Ears, the Disney company will um, donate $5 for every photo, up to $3 million. Yeah, and that has since ended. They didn't release what they finally got with it, but I'm assuming they met their target or at least came close. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't um, release it. Yeah. So, yeah. Someday. Yeah. Uh, they're investing um, 2 billion euros in Disneyland Paris. Uh, so they talked about that. They have the. Uh, they're also doing the largest expansion of Disney Sea. And they talked about this at the D23 Expo. Mm-hmm. Of course, at Hong Kong Disneyland expansion, you know, they're adding Marvel and Frozen and and of course the new castle that's again going to be dedicated to all the Disney princesses like at um Shanghai Disneyland, but of course, when you go into Shanghai Disneyland, it's the the interactive exhibit is Snow White. 
And um, as some cast members told me, yeah, you know what? They're saying it's to all the Disney princesses, but we know it's Snow White's castle. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, oh, that makes me feel good. So um, they talked about Disney Cruise Line adding three new ships, bringing seven ships total. They, they have not released any names yet or anything yeah, like that. And they won't for a while. No, no. And they talk maybe maybe that'll be at the expo. Probably, yes. Yeah. So or a week after the expo. <laughs> so, and then um and then of course uh, um in Shanghai Disneyland they are getting a new Toy Story Land. So and then um oh and then we were all given um Mickey Mouse ears when we entered for this and they look like regular Walt Disney World Mickey Mouse ears, but did you look at the lining inside of them? Yeah, I actually, this is my second pair of those kinds. So when I was at the Disney Springs grand reopening, and they realized that we were going to be in a lot of shots from uh, from people taking pictures of the grand opening moment, they made us all wear ears that had hashtag Disney Springs on the back, but it's the, the 90th anniversary Mickey mm-hmm. ears that have a beautiful, like, uh, kind of Mickey Mouse Club-inspired lining on the inside. Mm-hmm. So it, they're really nice. Mm. Yeah, they're very nice. It's too bad, you know, no one can see the lining. But yeah, I... really nice. Uh, honestly, Kylie and I said that I, I know it would have been, a, like, a huge departure, but I would have rather saw the outside of the hat with that yeah. design and made it something cool like that but mm-hmm, I agree and so they took they did a big um, share your ears photo with the audience and I had never seen more Mickey Mouse confetti in my life yeah I mean everywhere. it was in everything it was falling off of me it was in my bag I mean I kept finding it just for days yeah I think it got in my clothes <laughs> It was crazy. So anyway, so um, so so that was pretty much it. Was there anything else to add in that one? Um, yeah, the, we can just comment on them kind of quickly with that. But there was um, there there was a couple more items that they talked about that, mm-hmm. like Hollywood Studios would be getting a new nighttime show as well, um, and this one will be. Not uh, not doing anything with Fantasmic. It'll actually be back on the um, or it'll be back on the what should I call it the the Chinese theater. So uh-huh. it'll be called the Wonderful World of Animation, and it'll oh, be right. projection mapping, fireworks. But it'll be going over all of the animation and uh, in Disney history. So that I, I think that will uh, that'll be be a nice tribute. So it's, absolutely, I think it's that's fitting. great. Yeah, um, and then the only other thing that actually it kicked off before we even got to Epcot, um, they did they did uh, start the presentation by confirming that Disneyland was basically going to have a, a fun little Mickey event happening. Um, I forget. I think for the entire year over at Disneyland, oh, but right. that included the return of um, and the events. Get your ears on, but that included the return of Soundsational 
in January. And then also the new nighttime show, Mickey's Mix Magic, that will basically be all projection and lasers and a dance party. And then on select nights, so most likely weekends and holidays, then they'll add in the pyrotechnic element too. But uh, it's Disneyland's big step into trying not to to use as much pyro as possible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those were those were the only other things they really talked about. Yeah. I remember in the old days when they said at Disneyland the one thing we can never get rid of are the fireworks. Well, and they never will. But <laughs> just on weeknights. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, oh well. Oh. Well, okay, great. Yeah, thank you. I I must have, I skipped over those. So, but that's, it's great yeah. that Disneyland's getting a little love, too. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. All righty. Well, the next thing we're going to talk about was uh, it was um, Mickey and Pals at, in the park. So Mickey Mouse references at the in the Disney parks. And so, of course, they, you know, they talked about, you know, in Fantasmic, there's Steamboat Willie and, you know, Sorcerer Mickey. And they, they, they sort of got into... Um, you know, how there's Mickey and Pals attractions and the science at Disney parks. And they said that all of these attractions, there's trails. There's a Fantasyland sort of path, and then there's a Toontown path. Yeah. So they talked about, you know, they started out with a Disneyland Mickey Mouse Theater that opened in Fantasyland in 1955. And at first, you know, it showed uh, cartoons. There was the Mouseketeers in 3D Jamboree that we talked about last week. They also showed at the same time with that Working for Peanuts, and um, which was Donald Duck and Chip and Dale. And because that, that was converted to 3D. Ivan Earl, who's probably most well-known for his artistry and sleeping beauty did the backgrounds for that and then uh, and then um w- what was interesting is is that if you've never seen working for peanuts if you like we've talked about the sing-along tape series craig the the melody um became the opening sequence for the sing-along yeah. series in there so um anyway and uh, then, then they progressed to um, Walt Disney World. They had the Mickey Mouse Review and the how the um, vignettes and set pieces for that attraction were sort of like a golden book, little golden book come to life on a huge stage. And they showed a clip from the Mickey Mouse Review and, and it wasn't the full show. And the, the full show is available online, but it's mostly from the Tokyo show. And, but... Um, it, so you can see the complexity of the show when you see those clips, because how it, the scenes move back and forth, and like the three caballeros appeared at different times, and and all that. So, um, but it was a, it was a magnificent show, and I, I really wish they could find a home for it somewhere. Yeah, you know, in a smaller theater or something like no, that. Maybe when they eventually close down Grand Fiesta Tour and. All the animatronics can be in one place again. Or yeah. they can add an Anna and Elsa animatronic, and then they can really just change it up. Oh, well, they could, oh, they could easily update this and have, even, and have the more contemporary. Could have yeah, yeah, Tangled with and song. Frozen and oh, yeah. you know, Beauty and the Beast. So the, the, the animated specials that never get any love. 
Yeah. Oh, so. absolutely. And, uh, you know, and it means they'd probably take out, you know, a couple of scenes. But, um, oh, I, I wish they would do that. I think that would be magnificent. And I think I think people would enjoy it. But again, I, it couldn't be the big grand theater. It would definitely have to be a small venue. So, um, smaller venue. But anyway, but they needed a fairly large stage. For yeah. It. Then, of course, uh, in 1980, the attraction was shipped from the Magic Kingdom to Tokyo Disneyland, and it ran there for close to 20 years. Uh, and then both of those venues gave way to Mickey's PhilharMagic, and um, Kevin Rafferty was integral to that. And in in the first concept, that was interesting, Tinkerbell was the star, and she sprinkled pixie dust um, on in in on 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 the instruments to bring them to life and then they went back to look at the mickey mouse club and they saw donald was sort of the antagonist yeah you know in the opening scenes so uh so anyway so then they reworked it and so only two parts in there are not original um um ducky nash um lines yeah i'm voicing it which was really interesting no, that's, that was all stuff that I had never heard before anywhere, so. Yeah, so I thought that that was, um, that was really cute. So so they said, you know, a lot of it just goes back to that um, Mickey Mouse Club opening. Yeah. So they had a, when you, when you entered the theater, there was this mural and all that, too, that went to, went to then they went to, um, they, then they went on the Mickey's Toontown path, and they talked about, of course, Mickey's birthday land in Duckburg, which, you know, confused people. But, of course, um, DuckTales was on television at the time. Yes. So they had to bring in Duckburg in there. Um, there was Mickey's Starland, and, and the only difference was the signs were changed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that inspired, of course, Mickey's Toontown in Disneyland. And um, and and they talked about the architecture, how there's like no straight lines in Toontown and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of delightful stories. And I think I talked about that in on the Disneyland show, 60 Years of Disneyland, how it threw the construction folks and architects off because they weren't used to constructing things without straight lines. Yeah. And so how Disney Imagineering and all that had to keep telling them, no, no, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To follow the plans, and then, um, and then Mickey's um, Toontown Fair was a, a countrified version of Disneyland's Toontown, and then they talked about Minnie Moo, of course, in Grandma's Barn, and you know, of course, she was a cow that had, you know, the image, the Mickey icon on her side. We had a version out in in Disneyland as well in um, Big Thunder Ranch for a while. And then, um, and then she went over to the Fort Wilderness um, petting farm. Yeah. And then, of course, that became um, both storybook circus and sort of the backstage magic circus tent area and all that. So, um, but then they talked about what might have been, and they uh, they talked about Mickey's magic show, and how it was, and that and that was. Um, going to be uh it was going to be um almost next to mickey storybook circus and it was i'm trying to remember what sort of what was supposed to be and oh the fab five would have been um 
also in a Main Street musical review. And it was going to be photo ops, was going to be a big part of it, and um, and all that. So I don't know. They, they went a little into that. I don't know if you remember anything more about that. No, I don't. So yeah, this was this was a tough panel because um, the Mickey and Pals at the Disney Park. This was hosted by uh, Jason Grant and mm-hmm. Alex Wright and Wyatt Winter, and this was one of the ones where we weren't allowed to take photos in there, and mm-hmm. so I wasn't writing stuff down because I'm awesome like that and don't think ahead of time. So. Um, that's like my I really enjoyed Mickey and Pals I just don't remember any of it now uh, because a week has passed and and that's how my brain works yeah no so um but they talked about in the photo option there's going to be like the great Guffini there was going to be uh you know there's going to be these meet and greets where they were all going to be in their sort of um sort of steampunky almost um, magical um, outfits of what they were going to be doing, whatever their magic is. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, and so a lot of this, like the great Guffini and his his, uh, stunts apparel, and it sort of became this sideshow sort of prep, and and it sort of moved over to Storybook Circus. And... um, the, the, they were there was going to be a Donald Duck um, sort of a, a stunt coaster, and that and then the Great Guffini became the Barnstormer. Yes, yeah. So, so anyway, so so th- that was just sort of it. There wasn't you know a tremendous amount to it. So um, it was interesting because they had a lot of of uh, you know concept art and things like that. And so that was this was a very visual. Yeah, no, it was visual and it was it was it was fascinating. So and um, yeah, Jason Grant, just any single time he's he's at any of these events, he just makes he brings this stuff to life. So it's you get you get very captivated and engaged on what's happening during it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So then the next one was costuming a Mickey Minnie in the Parks, of course, uh, uh, hosted by legendary producer Don Hahn. As that, as that, as if you remember from last week's show, that was a a joke that kept running through his presentations. And he started off by showing a video of Michael and Mickey that showed at the Disney MGM Studios tour um, at the end of the tram tour. And basically what it showed was it was an introduction to trailers and coming attractions. And the reason it was shown was that it was produced by Don Hahn. And so I, and I remember this, I remember it was really entertaining and I, I wish they could sort of redo it and still have it, you know, show an updated version of it before, you know, when they, um, you know, when they get rid of, you know, when, when they show the, the coming attractions at, um, you know, at Disney Hollywood Studios. Because I thought it was very clever. And I like the Chernobogs in it, too. So, anyway. Um, so, they talked, they had the... Uh, they talked. They had the official um, costume designers of Mickey, and Minnie, and their friends, um, and so they sort of called this dressing Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. They had um, Lee Slaughter, executive um, 
character and costume designer and development. So her team designs all the costumes used in the parks and Disney cruise lines and shows and everywhere around the world. So they're the WDI character programs and development, I guess is their department. Then they had, uh, I'm hoping I can read all their names properly. They had um, Michael um, Sander, I think costume design manager, um, Christine Burkett Butler and um, Harmony Chessing, their costume designers, and then they had Trevin Rush also, who I think is a design manager as well. Yeah. So um, anyway, and so they, uh, so so Michael sort of started out, and they designed for Disney at the Worldwide Parks and Resorts, and. He said that the the design always begins with a story. And they have to know, is it a parade? Is it a show? Or is it a meet and greet? Because that affects the design. So, uh, because it affects the detail of what people are going to see. Um, Because if it's a meet and greet, there has to be a lot more detail in the costume than if it's for a parade, you know, when the characters are way up high, you know, and, and harder to see. So, um, so they so they started out at designing for parades, and they had they they had I think I think it was a video they had um, Matt um, Davidson who's a costume designer, and they showed a Disneyland Paris parade where it was like the steampunk costumes for Mickey, and the costume was best on the floats. Um, so they researched steampunk, and they knew that Mickey liked bright colors. So the design elements, um, they have to be exaggerated for praise. They have to be larger because the costumes are so high up. So, um, And so they said that it can take um, up to a year from concept to design um, for completion of a parade. So, And that includes the costumes and all that, yeah. too. So, and then Christine and Harmony they design for shows. So, is it is it um, the, the, again? They need to know: is it a big stage? Is it a small stage? Um, you know, will will people be up close? Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Um, do they need to create um, a, a magical feeling? So they need to use um, big bold colors. You know, a lot of rhinestones, a lot of sparkle for these costumes. And um, and so then Minnie came out because, you know, she is, as you pointed out, Greg, on a previous episode, she is a fashion, um, you know, fast, fast, what did you fashion say? Icon. Fashion God. icon. Fashion icon. Yep, yep. So she, so she modeled her um, Mickey's, um, I don't know what, her Mickey Friendship Fair costume. So um, anyway, so it was cute, you know, as, as all her costumes are. Then they got into what goes into designing costumes for meet and greets. And that's, they said, where the textures and the colors really, really are important. The details have to look amazing. They said there there has to be lots of tiny details and custom fabrics for the guests to notice. Um, the costumes have to allow for them to get low um, to the ground for very young fans. There, there can be no sharp edges like rhinestones um, for hugs. So there, there's usually lots and lots of um, detailed embroidery. And so they, uh, so they um, take a lot of photos also to make sure that they show up well in the photos. Since, you know, in meet and greets, yeah. that's, that's what happens. So then Mickey, of course, 
he came out and modeled his roadster outfit. So there were lots of um, detailed patches on it for guests to um, notice. Yeah, it was pretty cute. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. Little little um, leather coat and all that. Um, and then uh, Trevor Rush, he was the development manager for um, Worldwide. Um, and and he, so worldwide appearances and runways around the world. So his job's very different, whereas all these other people might have a year or something to design. He will get two to four days notice to design and build yeah. costumes. So he can try new things like high fashion and high-end custom pieces that you would never see in the parks. So, uh, so that was interesting. So... Um, so what you want to uh, you want to make them look, he said, fabulous. But you have to ask, um, what will they be doing? So, um, so they they had costumes from the 90th TV special um, there, and the the jacket had 900 LED lights on it. So, um, and then they they came out and they had the Dancing with the Stars costumes on stage, also on display. So. A lot of lot of glitter, glitter and lights and stuff. Yep. Like that. <laughs> yep. So and then Mickey and Minnie modeled the outfits for um, for the Minnie star on Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, um, you know, ceremony. And she, the, I, I guess, some she had a special Coach purse. And I, I guess Coach Coach has done a line of these, and all that. So then they they talked about uh, designing for the 90th anniversary, and they had. Joe, oh gosh, I don't even know how to spell his name, Kucharski, something like that, is a, a costume designer. So there was a lot of sequin and confetti and balloons and pom-poms on white for these costumes for a party feel. Yeah. So, um, And so Mickey, Minnie, Chippendale, Clarabelle, Daisy, and Donald modeled these costumes. I know you put of photos out. I thought Clarabelle, that was my favorite costume. Yeah, every, everyone was excited for Clarabelle because she never uh, really gets a lot of love, uh, especially at Walt Disney World. You know, she she is in, uh, in our Halloween and Christmas parade, and she's a big part of the Christmas... Chris, oh, Christmas, wow. I don't know where that came from. The Christmas stage show uh, that we have during the Very Merry Christmas Party. But other than that, she's... She's not really anything at all. So the fact that they included her in this 90th anniversary celebration and given her a special costume that looked like had solo cups all over it, um, it, it, it was nice. It's nice that yeah. they're appreciating her. Yeah, and those puffy, balloony petticoats uh-huh. or whatever they were. I thought those were cool. I like those. So, uh, yeah, and I, I think that we're seeing more of her and Horace Horse Collar because they are in the um, the Disney Channel shorts yeah. as well. So um, that might be why. So that was it. So I don't know. Is there anything more you wanted to um, go on? And, uh, this was kind of a filler panel for me. It's like it wasn't not that it wasn't interesting, uh, but it. I don't care. Like I, I like meeting Disney characters and uh, in taking pictures with them especially when they're in different costumes that's where i get the repeat value from meeting them over and over again and in in new and interesting costumes but i don't really care about how they're created and designed so mm-hmm. this it for me it was like there was a couple cool photo op moments but 
I I didn't take away anything from this panel that was that was that was definitely worth the price of admission right there. Yeah. I I found it interesting about this the different concepts that they have to take into account depending upon you know is it a parade is it a show is it a meet and greet yeah like i I never really noticed that the details on the parade costumes because they had photos are exaggerated yeah and um and that i think they got into it somewhere that even the characters are um a little taller also than than you would see them in the meet and greets yeah and all that for that. So, so it was, it was. I found that kind of stuff interesting. So, anyway, well, the next one, actually, the next couple we're going to talk about were, were the voices, the characters, and, and these were interesting. These were a lot of fun, I thought. And it was the vo- we're going to start with the voices of the Fab Three. But of course, we got uh, we got three for the price of two. Yeah. <laughs> so because we had Bill Farmer, who does the voice of um, Goofy and Pluto, and then Brett Iwan, who uh, is the primary voice of Mickey Mouse. And then there's um, Ashley Eckstein was the moderator. I guess she is also a voice actor, I guess, for what, the Star Wars? Yeah, film? she's the voice of Ahsoka Tano in the, in the Clone War series. And Okay. Stuff so no, she's uh, Disney's go-to person when they need an empowered female, which it's it, she <laughs> is. Um, it's she was kind of the breakout person in terms of females in Star Wars. Yeah, we had Princess Leia, Queen Amidala, but um, she's like she is kind of the first person since they really changed the trend. Now, where where females are almost just as powerful as as men in the Star Wars universe, if, if not more powerful than a lot of circumstances. So, and of course, she's well known and loved for her her universe line of clothes that basically marries geek culture with fashion and gives girls out there a, a way to to dress up in their their favorite kind of geeky stuff whether it's star wars she just released a line with mary poppins um it's just she does she does a lot she's a busy girl mm-hmm. she and she's was a very enthusiastic yes um, m- moderator yeah so well of course they they got into of course voicing the characters and uh, you know 1928 of course in steamboat willie mickey mainly squeaked sort of in and re- responded to what was going on but um Mickey's first spoken words it was in Carnival Kid and he says hot dog and he was voiced by Walt Disney and you know they talked about how Mickey embodied so much of Walt and so Brett said that he keeps Walt in mind you know always when voicing Mickey and he talked about you know something that everyone who has voiced Mickey over the generations always say you know they keep in mind that they're just filling in for the boss yes that's it uh, that, that was something that um, I think Walt told Jimmy mcdonald yeah so. yeah but and and jimmy passed that on and to his successor and all that and he just everyone passes that on so um in 1930 uh pluto was one of two dogs in chain gang but he was unnamed but that he pluto did star in 48 solo cartoons and um they said uh, goofy debuted in mickey's review in 1932 and and, and Bill Farmer talked about how mastering Goofy's laugh was the hardest part of the audition. And so what he did was he taped the laugh and he, he practiced it a little at a time. 
until he got it. And he sort of showed, he, he demonstrated how he did that. Yeah. Which was entertaining. And then um, Pinto um, Kolvig, of course, was the first voice of Goofy. And Goofy had uh, 49 um, solo cartoons. So, um, so it's always interesting that, you know, we always think of Mickey and the shorts and how many he had. But, but the uh, other ensemble had a lot of their own as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then in, um, in 1947, Walt picked sound effects um, engineer Jimmy McDonald to voice Mickey. And that was in Fun and Fancy Free in Mickey and the Beanstalk. And it was sort of partway through production because what was happening is Walt was so busy with other things that it was, ha- it was delaying them moving forward with this. So that's when Walt just sort of said, why don't you use Jimmy and called Jimmy in his office and said, can you voice Mickey? Just give me a few lines. Walt said, yeah, sounded good. But um, Walt had already recorded some lines. So Walt and Jimmy are both speaking for Mickey in that particular film. Um, in 1977, the new Mickey Mouse Club, um, of course, began, and Wayne Allwine was selected until 2009 to voice Mickey. And he is the husband of Rusi Taylor, who voiced Minnie Mouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was interesting is they, they weren't married at the time. They both apparently were in bad marriages. They fell in love. They got divorces, and then, um, and then, as Mickey and Minnie, they got married. Yeah. So that was that was a sweet was, story. Yeah, that was yeah. And then, uh, and then Jimmy told Wayne, "Remember, you're only filling in for the boss." So that's something that that Brett um, carries on. Um, Brett always wanted to be um, an artist, and he worked for Hallmark Cards at Kansas City, which was just blocks from you know the original Laughagram Studio. So he got an email for an audition, and he submitted the audition via voicemail. And then he got a call back for an audition. He flew to California for a forty-five minute audition, and he was to be an understudy. But then Wayne um, suddenly passed away so then um you know brett you know got the part exactly um yeah now bill farmer um talked about how the disney studio is very different from other studios because working with disney is like you know it's like a family in which you know we you hear time and time again and Brett says that you really get to know the characters so well that they become a part of you and they talked about some of their favorite projects for Bill. Um, his first series was Goof Troop, and then um, and then a Goofy movie. And the the songs he said were the first things that they recorded for that. So um, anyway, and then in 1992, um, when Fantastic debuted, um, Brett was uh, ten, and it impacted him. Um, so much that his dad um, bought him the soundtrack and he started practicing the voices and he had to um, record the show. Uh, they they um, replaced um, Wayne's um, narration when they updated it. But he and his brother, apparently, they played Fantasmic as a boy and they would, with the soundtrack, and they would set up things and scenes in their backyard and including some pyrotechnics and all that and Wayne would um Wayne he, uh, Brett would do the voices and all of that so um and he talked about how when he had to re-record you know 
Wayne's narration for Update to Fantasmic. And he, um, his brother was with them. And his brother said, did you ever think when we were playing Fantasmic in the backyard that someday, you know, you would really be voicing, you know, Fantasmic? And he said that was his moment. He had to actually step away because he got so choked up. Yeah. Well, and it was... It- and I heard this story twice because then a lot of the people in the media, when we had a one-on-one with Brett, they wanted they wanted that on record. So they asked them to tell the story again. Um, it was also just it, because Fantasmic meant so much to him. The one thing that, that he was hoping for and had discussions with them and pushed for was at least leave leave Wayne's voice in for the sum imagination, huh? Mm-hmm. ending of it and that because if they had to update it at all he was just hoping that that would at least be there so it's it was such a big big point to him and uh he, he really wanted that to still be a part of it and so then when he heard his voice ended up doing the line because they just replaced it all that's that's where it really got him and mm-hmm. so it's you know it's a it's a good story for all the kids out there who were you know, just they they might really appreciate something with with Disney and just just because you hear someone else doing it, like in, in the instance of Mickey Mouse's voice, don't think that that can't ever be you one day. So it yeah. could be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to practice. So, yes. Yes. Now, Bill also voices Horace Horse Collar and he um, he created the voice and it was like on the spot. Yeah. He had to do the voice. Um, he also voices Pluto, Practical Pig, Doc and Sleepy. Um, you, you know, it just goes on and on. He also um, voices um, Hop Hop in the upcoming film Amphibian, which I, I don't know a lot about. So, um, anyway. And then, so they, you know, not only do they voice the, you know, the characters, they, they do cast, they voice for castle shows, video games, Apple Watches. So I guess I have Brett talking to me on my watch, and Mickey tells me what time it is. Um, Bill Farmer says he's done over 3,500 jobs for Disney. He became a legend in 2009, you know, at the D23 Expo. Yeah. So, um, so that was cool. So, and then um, they had clips of them um, together recording Mickey and um, Roadster Racers. So they also talked about in Kingdom Hearts 3 coming out in January 2019. They did um, voices for that. And then um, Bill introduced a new Mickey Mouse short um, surprise. And that was its debut. It was was the Mickey Mouse 90th anniversary, you know, like birthday party. Yes. And then that debuted the very next day. Or maybe it was like moments afterwards. But I know that's all over YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, so that was that was very cool, I thought. Yeah, it was a, it was a nice little panel. So it's yeah. fun hearing them do the voices. It is. And they are, um, you can tell that they just, you know, really got along really well. Yeah. So, um Anyway, and then um, they, a little while later, they had um, another panel that was Mickey's Last Adventures, Uncovering the Magic of Disney Storytelling. I found this one really fascinating. Mickey's Lost so, Adventures. 
Yeah, Lost Adventures. Oh, sorry. See, I can't even read my (laughs) So, anyway. But, um, anyway, so they talk about how nothing is truly lost. It's just out of place. A line from, um, of course, Mary Poppins Returns, one of the songs. Uh, So they started out by talking about, you know, first of all, projects um, that never got made or... um, or that were made but not widely distributed. So they talked about the, the first Mickey Mouse book, which was called Mickey Mouse Book. So it was the first Disney book in 1930. It was credited to an 11-year-old daughter of the publisher. And, um, you know, and Mickey Mouse is, um, he's he's thrown out of, I don't know, he's thrown out of Mickey Mouse Playland, and he lands on the roof of Walt Disney. And that's how he... Um, or Mickey Mouse Fairyland, I should say, Mouse Fairyland, and he he's thrown out of it, and he lands um, on the roof of Walt Disney, and that's um, how they meet. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, very strange story. And in the 1930s and 40s, um, for the magazine Good Housekeeping, Disney artists drew cartoons for gags that never made it into the shorts or um, never made it into a film. So, and then in 1949. They um, talked about uh, Collier's Magazine, and John Hench printed a portrait of Mickey for his 21st birthday. So, And that predates the first official uh, Mickey Mouse portrait for his 25th birthday. So, um, And then they, they found a letter in which Walt refers to a Mickey Mouse park. And and it, it was sort of they it, they redis- also rediscovered the concept art for the park, and yeah. some of it has since been it's been published, um, like the old mill Ferris wheel, um, swan boats, a sea themed cas- um, carousel, the monstro um, boat chute, yes. the, the, you know the part of that was used in the storybook land canal boats at Disneyland, um, fun and fancy free. Uh, sort of a yo-yo yeah, kind of ride. Giant. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, with Willie. Yeah, um, a Bambi's forest in a nature setting. Um, there were Babes in Toyland, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea um, experiences. You know, in there too. So even early on, Walt was capitalizing on films. Exactly. Um, yeah, and um, it's you could tell there was a lot of people in in the crowd that had never seen any of this concept art before because it was. Mm-hmm. There was plenty of oohs and ahs over it, and as it as it should, it's very very interesting, interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And you know, seeing seeing what Disneyland would have never happened, which I mean, you know, it's basically early early concepts for Disneyland right there. It's it's very cool stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, in 1953, they they talked about some of the Disneyland, the Disneyland prospectus, and it included a um, treasure island and a Mickey Mouse clubhouse, you know, on that island with a lot of climbing things and all the stuff that would yeah. have been closed down by today, <laughs> thanks to um, lawyers and stuff like that. Yeah. In the 1970s, they talked about Dumbo Circus at Disneyland in the Mickey's Toomtown area, and we've talked about this on a previous show, um, you know, there, there was going to be a Dumbo ride, a clown restaurant, Dumbo circus nursery, um, the Pinocchio attraction. It finally did make it into fantasy land. Um, Mickey mouse review based on the thirties, um, you know, characters and all that. So that was interesting. So, and then, um, 
Then there was going to be the Dumbo Circus with Disney characters who um, didn't fit into Fantasyland, and it would follow the um, Dumbo film. So, um, and then they showed like the carousel. <laughs> you know how people were really upset about the um, the the castle. Yeah, the twenty fifth uh, anniversary castle castle cake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they showed a Carousel of Progress birthday cake concept for Mickey's yeah. 60th birthday. That, and I can say that was my first time ever seeing that. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you had before, but oh man, heads would have heads would have been spinning with that. Yeah, I, ne- I never saw that. And they talked about how the concept just sort of grew and grew. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, no, I'm I, I I'm impressed they never did that. Um, Anyway, uh, in the 1930s, you know, they said Walt and his artists wanted to find ways to highlight, you know, Mickey's adventures and um, and and his well to highlight Mickey's adventuresome spirit. So, um, you know, so they talked. They showed um, a, a, a concept for a short. I guess it was Mickey's Hotel. How Mickey owned a hotel, and Donald and Goofy are bellhops, and yeah. Um, and then competition moves in next door, so um, so Mickey converts his hotel to a super automatic modern hotel. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't work out, of course. Exactly. And then there was Mickey's Sea Monster, where um, Mickey was pestered by a sea monster, and it was, um, a, 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 of course, it was a caricature of um, of Dick Hume humor. So anyway, um, then there was the plight of the bumblebee. Mickey was um, looking for the next big act. And so he found Hector, the, um, what was it the sinking operatic bee, but Hector liked to drink pollen. Yes. So um, his career, he fell on hard times as a result. But then of course, so Mickey's going to give up on, on this scheme. And then of course, what he finds uh, uh, like a, 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 a grasshopper who can play the violin or something with his legs. Yeah. Anyway, then they talked about some feature concepts for Mickey that never made it, like the the time machine, you know, starring Mickey, a 20,000 leagues under the scene. So, um, uh, uh, pieces of eight kind of thing. Um, you know, Mickey, Minnie and, and, um, Mickey, Goofy and Donald, um, uh, you know, run a tavern, and a, a you know a pirate parrot comes in with a treasure map, and and it's um, showing Captain Morgan's treasure. So Pete um, maroons them on an island, and but of course it's where Captain Morgan and his pirates are ghosts. So um, yeah. Anyway, so it works out. Then they talked about Mickey's Columbus for the 1980s. I had heard about this one. And then uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy is the three mus- musketeers. And then um, the original concept in the 80s, and, and, and this would have included Jose Carioca. Yeah, as, as, well. as one of the other, the fourth musketeer, and then also yeah. uh, Mr. Toad as the king. Yeah, so. yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, and it would have included Honest John, Gideon, yeah, Jose Carioca as Artemis, um, Mr. Toad as King Louis the Eighteenth, and Daisy as the Queen. Yeah. So, and, and oh, and they did one more like that too, where they mm-hmm. uh, a popular a popular concept that did make it into uh, theaters as a theatrical short, but how it could have been different. And that was uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, 
So yeah. in um, two two of the big differences with that, like uh, the the ghost of Christmas Past wasn't originally going to be Jiminy Cricket. It's actually going to be Merlin, mm-hmm. and um, and then the ghost of Christmas Future. They I think it was they showed these out of a storybook, so we were able to see what what could have been translated but then the the uh the wicked queen was the um was the ghost of christmas future yes. in the concept so could have been very different it could have been yeah and they said this was inspired by an album um dickens um christmas card by um the walt disney players yes and, yes um yeah but but it's it, it was yeah i i thought that, that would be interesting i don't know yeah, it's I have such fond memories of it as it is. I can't even I can't even imagine a lot of those changes. Mm-hmm. The Wicked Witch I think would have been really good. Yeah, so, I agree. Um, I'm not sure about Merlin. Yeah, Merlin Jiminy Cricket feels more right in the role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, Mickey's and then there was another concept that never got made: Mickey's chemistry set. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, and then they then what was interesting was they came up with a script. It was Mickey's Candy Mine. It was released as a story time record, and they did a read through of the script. Well, first of all, they said, "Oh, we're going to show you how we do one of these," and they they went to the audience and say, "Who can do a good Mickey Mouse and who can do a good Goofy?" Well, of course, you know they did a couple of guests, but of course, Brett Iwin and Bill Farmer were sitting in the audience. And so they found them. They were sort of disguised, you know, wearing, Brett was wearing a hoodie and, you know, and all this stuff. And so they, of course, come up on stage. And this is what I found really fascinating is they sat there and they did a read through of the script, doing their voices. And, um, and, and it was great because, you know, Bill did a bunch of different voices and Brett also did narration. He did some of the sound effects. And I just found it fascinating Oh yeah, no, it, it really was. So, it, especially when you think about it in the the realm that I think they mentioned it once or twice throughout the the weekend too. You know, they when they're doing these these recordings and stuff, they're in a sound booth by themselves. Uh, they're never doing it uh, all together like that. So, um, in this instance, yeah, we did get to we got to take part in listening to this this live read through where they got to do it in real time uh right beside each other and that's it's something that doesn't really happen a lot so it was a very special moment so yeah i agree yeah it was cool so um, i loved it just loved yeah, it me too so seeing them in action <laughs> the next one craig I-, I know you're gonna take the lead on this and this is hosted again by ashley Eckstein. Oh, i already hear you sighing you know which one i'm talking about yeah and that is totally in mini the fashion icon because of course it was also Minnie's um birthday too her anniversary so they threw her a bone and they did one panel on her and they had, uh, oh gosh, these names. They had Ashley on there, and they had Fab Fabisla Gariza. I don't know, a character artist. I, I can't read my writing here. And it was a very unusual name, a very pretty name. She's a character artist. She's part of the Disney Artists um, group. And a Disney artist experience in consumer parks, you know, a Disney experience in consumer products. And then they had Diana um, Brose. She's a senior story editor for WDI. And basically, 
They did nine reasons why we totally love Minnie. They had one reason per decade. So, uh, so we. Uh, I know, Craig, you're going to jump right in with with your I, reasons. I, I did take pictures of all the reasons. If anyone really cares about it, um, well, well, we'll run through them. I, you know, the only we'll get to it. It's it's number two, but basically, this entire panel. It's I think they did a great job presenting it but it's it's if you don't like mini you're not going to care about this one so about the only highlight of of this panel was uh during reason number two when they played the full video for um the duet of elton john and Minnie mouse with don't go breaking my heart oh my god so, <laughs> other than that i could have lost everything and been just as good in my life people immediately went on youtube and found that yeah yeah, We've got to put, can you remember to put a link to that in our show notes? I will do my best to remember. Someone send me a message if I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. Um, okay, so reason number nine. She's totally talented. Um, she debuted in Steamboat Willie. She brought music, actually, to the cartoon. Because she um, she had a rolled up, um, a, a roll of sheet music and an accordion. And in other shorts, and they show them, she plays all kinds of instruments, a piano, a trumpet, um, udders, yeah. <laughs> um, an accordion, um, a harp, a saxophone, a, a banjo. I mean, she plays everything. So, um, so a very talented woman, um, or mouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number eight, she's totally patriotic. She's always there to support the troops during World War II. Um, she took the role of a nurse. Um, that was her in, in during World War II. And there was um, there was even a patch of her image. And we, we talked last week also about the, the short that she did about encouraging people to save their cooking grease. Because yeah. it could be made into glycerins for <laughs> weapons. And this was the awkward part where... They clearly had this written separately from uh, the other panel where they were bringing that up. So they thought that they were like unveiling something for the very first time that no one really knew about. And we just had heard about it and watched watched sections. So it's it, yeah, that happened. It, it bears repeating <laughs> that she was part of the greatest generation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> way to find okay. the positive yes okay now number seven she totally loves animals um she fostered and adopted many pets um pluto was her pet at first but he was called rover um she had a little dog named fifi uh, of course um figaro was um Somehow she had a little cat that looked remarkably like Geppetto and Pinocchio's cat, also named Figaro. And then she had a canary named Frankie as well. So um, anyway, okay, number six. She is um, totally – oh, gosh, what does this say? She is uh, – oh, she is totally a multiple homeowner. <laughs> yes, and business owner. Yeah, mm-hmm. She always has her own home in the short. She has homes around the world. Oh, yeah, and she is a business owner. Um, because it, And I, I was at this. I have photos of it. In, in Shanghai Disneyland, her, her um, family home, which was a, a farm, I guess, farmhouse, is now the confectionery. And when you go there, you can see family photos of her growing up when she met Mickey, you know, and all that. So Yeah. It's actually a nice little store. 
Um, Number five, she totally owned the 80s. Um, She stepped into her rightful place in the spotlight. She wore the latest fashion trends. Um, She had her own television special in 1988. Um, Disneyland dedicated 1986 to Minnie Mouse, and she had her own um, workout CD. Yeah, I think this entire presentation was built just on this one point and a lot of the uh, nostalgia that the the moderators had for for this era and Minnie Mouse during this time but it this one was true i will say that mm-hmm. yeah you know, uh, now you must have the totally mini vinyl somewhere in your collection i don't no i don't it's i i'm very particular about my vinyl i don't like used vinyl so if i can't yeah. find a brand new copy of it i don't really want it oh okay well Disney, are you listening? That's got to reissue that one. Every time they reissue a new vinyl, I am right there as soon as I see it. <laughs> okay. Well, number four, she has total star power. Um, she has five million followers. Um, Disney Mini rocks the um, rocks the dots in January. She she's partnering um, with. Um, with fashion designer i guess kate spade and she she also got her star recently on the hollywood walk of fame yeah so and she uh there's more uses of hashtag mini style than there is mickey style on instagram so they're very proud of that that. well she has i think she has a larger wardrobe yes mickey um She's totally, uh, oh, number three. She's totally a muse, a mouse muse, muse mouse. Um, She inspires artists and creatives. Um, There is a book out, The Art of Mini. I know it's available at Costco. So um, you can see how how she's inspired artists to um, draw her. So anyway, um, number two, she is a total heartbreaker. Um, of course, Minnie, Mickey is her, you know, long-term um, partner or whatever you want to call it. Date um, Mortimer, of course, also vied for Minnie, and they showed a clip of that. Yeah, as well. And yes, this is where they had the music video: Elton John and. Mickey Mouse or and Minnie Mouse don't go breaking my heart. There is a cameo by Sorcerer Mickey, which actually is very funny. Yeah, see yeah. a little bit of jealousy there. And Mickey's, I thought he was actually going to wave the wave a wand or something and obliterate Elton John, but he didn't. Yeah. And then, of course, number one, she's totally mini because she can go by a single name and everybody knows her. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Can't argue that. No, no. And then they brought out uh, folks, uh, Kristen Rodak and and a fellow named Jeff. Um, He's the designer of art on the Sunglass Hut um, arts and art. And he did the 90th anniversary artwork, I think, for um, the Ray-Bans that they were part of the Mickey Marketplace. So they talked about that. And... That was a little commercial. Yeah, yeah. I think before a break. Yes, it was. Something. Yeah. So, um, anyway, did you want to add anything more about your favorite fashion icon? Nope. I'm all good on Totally Mini. A cute panel. Just, uh, again, I feel like the entire point of the panel was to talk about Mini in the, the 80s and then show that Elton John video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I, I, we're all the better for it for those who hadn't seen it before. 
<laughs> anyway, so, oh yeah, this next one, again, we're back to the theme parks. And I think folks are going to be very excited about this. This is catching up with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And so the the moderators for this were senior creative producer, Walt Disney Imagineering. I'm Sherita Carter. And um, I think she said that she's worked there, what was it, a... 21 years yeah and then executive creative director kevin rafferty you know he's pretty well known he started out as a dishwasher at um disneyland's plaza inn didn't know that so um anyway so kevin rafferty he has been with wdi for 40 years he's a show writer and 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 the character um or creative director for the runaway railway and so um Basically, of course, this attraction is going into um, the Chinese theater. And w- the reason for this is, is because um, we are, we're going to see a new short. But, um, you know, and, but we're going to have, um, they're, 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 and, and it's there because they're, Mickey and Minnie, you know, Disney, they have a long history at Groman's Chinese Theater. It's not called Groman's anymore, but everybody still calls it that. And so, you know, the short um, Mickey's Gala premiere, of course, premiered there. Mary Poppins premiered there and all of that. So um, there's a short in the attraction that's um, that's in the pre-show called... Um, Mickey Mouse in the or Mickey and Minnie in the Perfect Picnic, yeah, and it establishes the guest roles and introduces a new theme song. So and so Mickey and Minnie are um, preparing for a picnic. So um, so what 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 was cool about this is that Jimmy McDonald, you know, we've talked about him earlier. He worked at Walt Disney Imagineering in the 1980s on attractions and he created all his own props. And so and he talked about the story that how when he um thought, you know, his days were over and they were going to get rid of everything, you know, just trash it or do whatever, how he told them this and they um they backed they went over to the studio and as they distracted people jimmy mcdonald went in and distracted people they loaded all of his stuff up into a truck and um and then took it to walt disney imagineering where all of his props everything for um making sound effects were preserved yeah so i thought what a great story so, um, so now Joe Harrington is the sound effects wizard at Walt Disney Imagineering on this attraction. So he, in honor of Jimmy and all the soundscape he created, everything for this attraction is done old school using Jimmy's props, is all his contraptions and all of that. And I thought that's amazing. Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely is. So, like, um, even in terms of what was around, so like um, one of the things that that they had was the the whistle that was used in Steamboat Willie, mm-hmm. and so they are even using that uh, in Runaway Railway. So mm-hmm. they are they are trying to their goal was to put you into the cartoon short, and so they're delivering they're delivering on that, and the way that they have to is by actually using these old props and and doing the folly work on it to do it do it the old-fashioned way so um it's just i i think i think that's going to add a very unique touch 
to this attraction because of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because they talked about how they could have gotten digital files for these, but this will create the yeah. the sound will have just a the sound will have a different texture, yeah. different layering. Like even the train uh, sound, they couldn't bring the mm-hmm. entire uh, the entire machine they used to make the the train noises with it but they did bring a little piece of it and showed that off so even going down to that they Mm -hmm. are they are doing all of this practically and that's that's huge yeah yeah the contraption that jimmy mcdonald created for the um train whistle in um casey jr for casey jr in dumbo is going to be used for runaway railway yeah i thought oh what a what a cool tribute you know that and then um, Chris Wells is the composer. He compo- he's the composer for the Mickey Shorts that are on the Disney Channel. And he's also designing the music for the attraction. And he, um, he scored it with a 65-piece orchestra in Hollywood. And he, he talked about he has the three S's for composing music. It has to be singable, simple, and sincere. Yeah, and that advice comes from, uh, from Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. And how the Sherman brothers put together their music. So that's the same approach that he wanted to take with it. Again, you know, so, you know, if, you know, I'm critical of the style of Mickey and Minnie, but it, I'm really impressed with, um, it just seems like they're putting a lot of heart and a lot of love into this attraction. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's even, I, I don't have the name written down. I'm sure you might have, but even like the, they, to design the train for the attraction, they got mm-hmm. an Imagineer who they considered like their resident train buff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was told that he had to kind of like design a locomotive that would live inside of a Mickey Mouse short and also be a character. Mm-hmm. And he not like he finished the first sketch in an hour and 10 minutes. And pretty quickly from there, it turned into a maquette form and you know, now it's it's getting even closer to one day. I guess we'll be able to see it. So um, they looked for in every step of this process that we've at least seen so far. They're they're looking at it to getting people in there that actually do care about honoring Mickey Mouse, the company heritage, every every detail in it. Like even to the point that they. They want to have. They want to use white light and back black light in the attraction. So they came up with a, a brand new paint methodology just so the train could look good in either of the lighting schemes. Mm-hmm. So and they and they had the maquette. It was Ray um, Cabal, I think, is this. Okay, name? yeah, that's. I have and, Ray Cab, and I didn't have the last part down. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and they brought out the model, or did they? They bring it out, and then but then did they show it? Yeah, they show both types of yeah. light, and it's amazing because it completely changes. Yeah, its look under both types of light. No, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's very, very cool, and I I thought it was neat that they said that a lot of the team on Runaway Railway is actually Florida based too. So um, designing the attraction to debut in Florida, they're using a lot of Florida Imagineers on the project as well too. So. Uh, it's it, there wasn't i will say well we learned a, a new chunk of very interesting information i think a lot of people were hoping for a lot more 
out of this they, panel. I, I'm sure they wanted a clip or something from. Yeah, I, I am kind of on that boat too. I think I yeah. think everyone expected more. I didn't know what to expect from it. Um, it's this wasn't this was a lot of reasons I heard from a lot of people saying why they wanted to come this weekend so they could hear more about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they were excited about what they heard, disappointed, but but we got a, a, a good chunk of yeah. new information on it. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Um, They said they're using every theatrical trick on this attraction. There's going to be 3D sets, projections, and black light to put guests in the cartoon short. And, um, yeah, and right, the team is in the park. um, And anyway, and so, anyway, so basically, I should say, yeah, the train is in the park where Mickey and Minnie are having their picnic. Goofy is the engineer. And as they always say when they talk about this, what could go wrong? Thanks. And um, anyway, and so, oh, and and the funny thing is, um, Goofy's also the employee of the month. (laughs) Yeah. For this. So um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm I'm excited to, to see what this looks like. Yeah, me too. So, um, anyway, now, probably what was the highlight for a lot of folks, this was actually the closing, uh, the last, the evening um, entertainment on Saturday night. And, of course, this is a film that so many people are excited about. And, of course, it's uh, Mary Poppins Returns that um, I believe it's debuting, what, December 19th? Yes. So, and they had um, Mark um, Daniels was the host. I, I guess he's um, he runs the what he's part of the Disney Parks blog. Yeah, he's our resident. You need a host for something. He's going to be be there for it, including like anytime they do the Disney Parks live streams out here. It's always him and Jen Fickley Baker. Um, it's yeah, he's just a. He's an entertainment personality in Orlando that primarily works with Walt Disney World. Oh, okay. Well, the, he hosted the musical team behind the film, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, Whitmar, I think. So, and anyway, and um, they they have a long career together, which started out with Hairspray way back when, and. I I just stopped writing down (laughs) because it was just so much. But they both um, really, they really both have strong memories of the original film and the soundtrack. And they really campaigned um, for Mary Poppins Returned. And then Rob Marshall called and said, um, which Sherman Brothers do you want to be? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's how they found out they had it. Oh no, and uh, yeah, it's the history was the interesting part uh, for me the most um, because Mark, uh, the um, who's I, I believe Mark is doing actually wrote all the music and mm-hmm. then um, uh, and with that, so he was sitting down at the piano for the entire for the entire time of this and he was saying how he had the the vinyl when he was a kid and would just pour over it so it's uh, so to then be asked to do the music for it too to finally get that job um you couldn't get a better person for it who is literally devoted points of his life just pouring over the record over and over and over again taking in every bit of it so um it's in the right hands for sure 
he, he they he, they showed a video of when he um I guess he got a new copy of the vinyl when it was reissued. Yeah. So I guess he didn't have it from when he was a boy. Um and he somebody did a video of him listening to it for the first time and it was like he was transported to Nirvana or heaven. Exactly. Or something. Because I mean, to him it's the first that first music that starts it out when it goes into that kind of early feed the birds um just simple simple structure right in the beginning yeah Yeah. and that's that's what it all meant to him so then to hear it again after all those years on on a vinyl was like was it it was cool to watch it was really sweet it was very moving Yeah. yeah um everyone thought that they were crazy for um taking this on but they uh they were just honored to continue the series. And they feel, and we heard this a lot, it, it's their love letter to everyone who worked on the first film. So they started out sort of like what Walt and the Sherman Brothers did. They, they read all the books and they worked, um, and then they, then they would all meet to decide which adventures would be sort of musically um, sequelized. Yeah. And, and, and to, in order to move the story along of Mary, sort of planting the seeds in the heads of the bank's children. Um, and then they began working on the lines, using phrases from the books, associate words. And the, the story takes place during the Depression, which in England, they said it was, they referred to it as the slump. And then they, then they um, taped all the, these phrases and associate words and everything that they wanted to use at, to the piano and then to sort of see what popped out at them. And then they began um, composing the music. They listened to music from that period of the slump for also inspiration. And um, and then they said um, during – they talked about the rehearsal process. And they said Emily Blunt was filming um, Girl on a Train – and she was pregnant also. So she would rehearse. And I guess Girl on the Train is a fairly dark film. I haven't seen it. So um, and then um, and then they would and then so she would finish her filming and then this dark film. And then she would come and, and rehearse these upbeat, lively, happy Poppins songs. <laughs> so um, they said that they said it just showed what a good um, actress she is. Exactly. But, yeah, and then they had six weeks of rehearsals in London with the cast, so that everybody, by the time the film started rolling, you know, everybody knew what they had to do. Everybody knew their their spots, you know, the songs, everything. So um, now Meryl Streep, because you know she's one of the people um, highlighted, you know, in in all the trailers, she plays a cousin of Mary's who can fix things, and but every second Wednesday. Um, her world goes topsy-turvy. And so there was um, a phrase, turning turtle, you know, because when a turtle flips over and sort of flails, um, they use that as as sort of the phrase for it. And I, and I think there was, a, there was a song also for that. Because yeah. as they talked about all of these experiences and all that, they would then play snippets of songs. Yeah, and, and it didn't go into into too much detail with that only mm-hmm. only a couple we got to hear a good amount of um that are also now uh are, are now very available um mm-hmm. as video forms yeah 
Now then, and then they talked about the recording process. They said after rehearsal, there was a break for Christmas. Then everyone returned to London and recorded their vocals with an 80-piece um, orchestra. And they talked about Emily Blunt. She was talented, beautiful, very posh, confident. And they said that her, and, and, and witty, and, and that that inspired their writing, you know, of the character also. And they had, um, let's see, they also had a, um, they had written a, a, sort of a, a, I don't know, it was before, before Lynn um, Manuel was cast, they had already written um, a lot of what that character said and did. So what they did was, and they played all the demos for him. And they and they talked about how they have also included um, a lot of musical Easter eggs of the Sermon Brothers songs um, in the score, and and they also um, scored the film, and they, so they had to do a lot of thematic material for the film. But they also talked about there was one scene where the um, as the orchestra's playing um, the score and all that, they suddenly come upon one of the themes from the original film and they said some of the some of the orchestra members would start crying as they played so yeah i know and uh, it was a it was a very moving part um mm-hmm. uh with that in there and yeah the, a lot of the reason they brought up like the lin-manuel part is they wanted to they wanted to stay ahead of the oh, did you just write in these raps because you got Lin-Manuel Miranda? And no, they they made sure that they they took it all the way back to Dick Van Dyke in the original Mary Poppins when he he does the same vocal stylings of it. It was just rap wasn't around then. So well, they wanted to tie it in together. There was, a, there was, though, a type of music. It was sort of a pub kind of music um, where... Okay, we call it rap today. It wasn't called that. I would have to look it up and see what it is because when I was, um, I don't know why I was researching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I don't know what I was working on, but it was probably something that I want to do about the Sherman Brothers. There is a style of music that, um, again, Dick Van Dyke sings. Yeah, it's, um, it's, from what I remember, it's called Patter. Yes. P-A-T-T-E-R. And I think, so to me, that's what I think that they were mimicking. Because that's in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And it's a big musical number. And I love that number. It's one of my favorites. So to me, I just feel they're incorporating that because that was very popular back then. Exactly. So um, now we we might call it rap. But I think back then it might have been pattern. Maybe they they could have brought that up more. Yeah. So... um, Anyway, so so then they um, they 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 talked about the first song that Mary Poppins sings to children. Uh, it's um, it's called "Can You Imagine That?" and it's it's whilst, whilst we've seen this scene in the film. It's while she's drawing a bath, and of course. <laughs> porpoises or something come out and anyway this becomes a whole adventure and it was um also orchestrated for the film it's played in the trailer um and they also continuously played this piece of music on the set to inspire the actors yeah so and then um of course we all see that of course the penguins are back 
There is a musical sequence of the Penguins, and the, the song for that sequence is a cover is not a book. So, um, and, and of course, they again they played snippets of this, you know, on the piano and all that for us. And they wrote a ballad based on the story about Mary's uncle, who is um, the man on the moon. And he's on the dark side of the moon. And that's, in the books, that's where things we lose go. Things that are meaningful to us go. So they wrote a song for Mary called The Place Where Lost Things Go. And that's how Mary talks about... um, the loss of the children's mother, which again, I'm not giving anything away because this is in the trailers. Because again, it's a Disney film; yes. a mother must pass away. Um, and so, of course, Michael Banks's um, wife has passed away, and um, so this is a song Mary sings to the children about that. And it's in the trailers. There's clips of this and all that. And so, um, they were very, very pleased because Richard Sherman saw the film two weeks prior to Destination D in Walt's own screening room. What a great place to watch anything. And then he made a video for them, letting them know what he thought of the film. And he was very pleased with the music. And somebody asked him what what he thought of the film, what he thought of the score. And he said that, and, and what he thought, and, and he said that he thought it was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And that just... Um, just made their day you know and 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 that was um it's not like they asked richard sherman to film something for them he did that on his own exactly so yeah yeah no it was a very very sweet and endearing and a lot of a lot of the buzz um that now that since destination d they did um i believe all of the d23 special screenings that they had planned um, those already happened and they've done other screenings for people since then. And it, it appears that it's not just, not just, uh, Richard Sherman giving singing high praises to it. Everyone I know that has already seen it now says it is the classic that we all hoped it would be. So it's not that it didn't, it's not that it had, it didn't have hard shoes to, to fill with the original, but it, it steps up in every way. So I'm hoping I feel the same way when I finally I see it. I do too. I really, really want this film to do well and to be good. Yeah. So based on this panel, I have definitely mm-hmm. good expectations for it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they mentioned how I think one of the large musical numbers tripped the light. Fantastic. Again, there, there've been clips released of it. Um, th- that was filmed. Um, in the mall of Buckingham Palace, which is like never allowed, uh-huh. but they were given permission to do that. Uh, they said that they, um, you know, of course they wrote songs, you know, for Dick Van Dyke and Angela Lansbury, which thrilled them. Um, Angela Lansbury plays a balloon lady, and you you have to look into the balloon to see your true self, and you'll fly. And um, and then you remember what you loved as a child, so uh, so that's interesting. And then um, Emily Blunt, uh, they said she said the film is a joy bomb. So um, and then the the final uh, song or sequence that was played was um, nowhere to go but up. Yep, which again was delightful. Yeah, and this is the one that has, as Michael referenced it to earlier. 
that has the little um, the little musical break that uh, ends up referencing one of the songs from mm-hmm. the original Mary Poppins. I won't say which one it is. You can probably uh, do some quick math in your head and, and figure it out based on the song title. But it's yeah, it, it's good. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I, this gave me really high hopes yeah. for the film because, again, they were just so passionate about their admiration for the, the original film and everybody who made it and its message and its style and its music and all of that. I thought, okay, this isn't, um, this isn't like let, let's see if we can make a buck by capitalizing. On a popular film, exactly. You know, so, yeah. um, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch Mary Poppins before I go, even though I probably know that film by heart. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yep, yep. Um, another thing that they had throughout the weekends were these various animation academies, where they had Disney artists come up and show how to draw characters. You know, like Mickey Mouse, Sorcerer Mickey, um, Winnie the Pooh, um, and they just made it look so easy. One yeah. of the gifts that we got was a very, very nice drawing pad. Um, Destination D drawing pad. And then a, an unsharpened pencil, which was not helpful because these were for the animation academies. Yours weren't and, sharpened? No. Oh, mine was sharpened. Mine was not. Well, you must have got the one rare one in the in the bunch. Yeah, no, no. So, well, they probably knew I was not going to soil or deface my pad. Uh, exactly. So, Anyway, so those were fun. It's fu- it was fun to watch. Yeah, no, it, it was cute little ways to break up in between segments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then finally, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the D twenty three events that they were um, mentioning that are coming up. If you like Destination D and want to get more involved and attend other events, there's definitely uh, stuff coming up you might want to keep an eye out for. So, for instance, in June of 2019, uh, the, in, the, in 2016 to 2017, they had, um, they've gone to uh, Walt Disney's birthplace in Chicago. And to see the house that, of course, you know, Elias and, and um, Flora um Made and so they're going to do, and it's being restored very lovingly. And they are uh, in June again. They're going to have another trip for D twenty three members to go there and see the progress on the restoration. They're going to have a lot of screenings of films on the Walt Disney Studios lot and at the Walt Disney World Resort. So all of these, of course, are films that are celebrating anniversaries. And so it's going to be up Sleeping Beauty. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and The Lion King. So you want to watch out for those. Of course, the Walt Disney Studios tours presented by D23 are returning. They are going to add um, more tours, which is really nice. Yeah, and, now they're you know, going to do one a month. Mm-hmm. So, so that's nice because those are very popular. They fill up really fast. Um, Craig and I did an episode on connecting with Walt on the tour when the we were like the first tour to go into Walt's office. Yes, we were. So, and they said they were going to add uh, besides the extra dates, they were even going to add uh, new special elements in. So, mm-hmm. no idea still what that is, but 
Yeah, so if you've done this tour before, it might be worth doing it again. They are going to do D23's Lunch with a Legend, Disney Legend, starting again. And it's going to be around the country, not just at, at you know either the studio or at um, Disney Hollywood um, Studios or the Burbank yeah. Studio. The first one is in New York. And it's going to be an intimate lunch with Linda Larkin, the speaking voice of Jasmine in Aladdin. That will be in April. So you want to keep an eye at D23 um, site for what else comes up. And this one sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I think, Craig, you might like this. To celebrate the 70th anniversary of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and its infamous headless villain, they're going to have a special event in Sleepy Hollow, New York. There's going to be a screening, special guest receptions, and more. Yeah, I thought this one did sound cool. It's just if yeah. I could get up to Sleepy Hollow for it, but I'm sure it'll sell out very quickly. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Uh, they're going to have advanced screenings of upcoming films. Um, so in honor of D23's 10 years, 10,000 pairs of tickets will be sent throughout 2019. I think in the for gold members, I think in the past they were in the um, D23 magazine. Yes. Them. So yeah, if you didn't open yeah. it right away, you might have missed out. If you got tickets, I didn't get any. Um, they're going to have signature events like, you know, Sip and Stroll at, you know, Epcot, Food and Wine. Um, they're going to have holiday, special holiday events again. The Walt Disney, um, they're going to be, they're going to have something at the Walt Disney Family Museum in May. And they're going to have behind-the-scene experiences um, at the studios. They're light up the season where they light up the Christmas tree and all that will happen at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank and all that. They're going to continue to have member mixers. But, of course, they're going to have the big D23 Expo in August, August 23rd to 25th, 2019. So all kinds of... the biggest one. Yeah, all (laughs) kinds of stuff. Um happening so anyway so go to d23.com and um check out keep an eye out yes for things that are coming up so so that's about it that is destination d so craig anything else you wanted to add no it was uh i think if you haven't really uh picked up on how we felt about it uh just for saying again it's a very special event it is for the biggest Disney nerds out there, a hundred percent. And while there were some, so there were some moments where it wasn't as exciting and interesting. There were some that were just, just really, really wonderful and really awesome. Mm-hmm. So um, I am happy that I got to go this time around, and I can already say, you know, like last time I, I told you that I was invited as the media, but I also. Uh, did buy my ticket and i will be doing the same exact thing again next time around i will i will be getting a ticket for it and if i'm lucky enough to be invited as media as well too that's great but i will be going regardless it's a great event you know i i have not been to a d23 event i've not enjoyed i mean they really you know in the first couple of years people really criticized them and all that but you know anything new Start to, like if you if you joined in the first couple of years and thought you know forget this, you know anything new, they have to get their bearings. I mean you know you got to get your got to get your feet going there and all that, whatever whatever I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'm just I have been so impressed the last few years with what they have offered. Yeah, you know sometimes it's tough to get 
signed up on stuff, but they they are starting to offer more and more um, events and activities yep. and things like that. So, you know, if, if I would say if you are a member, renew. I signed up for the automatic renewal that they yeah. just started offering so that I don't miss out on anything. But, you know, if you dropped it a few years ago, I'd say give it another look. And, um, you know, because... You know, yeah, you maybe not all of the um, all of the panels spoke to both me and Craig, but that's me and Craig. These are just our opinions. I I found something interesting in all of them, but um, other people probably found maybe what Craig and I thought uh, not as interesting. As some of the others, those may have been the highlights for folks. Exactly, everyone's so, different. Yeah, so um, so you know, this is just what we thought of it. But overall, th- this is an event I hope to never miss. Yep. Um, I I love the Destination D events, and like I said, every every D twenty two event I've been to, I have thoroughly enjoyed. I've enjoyed the people there. I've been impressed with the D twenty three folks leading them. So I'm looking to attend more events in the future. Feel the same way. Yep. And Craig sent this off to Jeffrey, <laughs> so that he does continue to keep us um, <laughs> as part of the media. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us at, at, at our um, retrospective of Destination D. And we hope you will be with us in two years and you'll be with the Diz at the D23 Expo in August 2019. All right. Well, we are going to do our alternate version of This Week in Disney History since we brought you a double episode again this week talking <laughs> about Destination D. So, Craig, you all set? Yep, I'm ready to go. Okay, so for December 9th, Walt Disney's christmas theme Mickey Mouse cartoon, Mickey's Orphans, directed by Burt Gillette, is released on December 9th, 1931. Of course, this is when a bunch of orphan kittens are left on Mickey's doorstep in a basket, and they make life chaotic. But Mickey, Minnie, and Pluto still try to put together a Christmas party for them. Mickey's Orphans will be nominated for an Academy Award Short Subjects cartoon, the first Mickey short ever to be nominated. However... It will lose to another Disney short subject. Which Disney short subject won the Academy Award that year? I actually think I do know the answer to this. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it the Silly Symphony, Flower and Trees? It is. Yeah, because it was in color. Yes. Yeah, very good. Okay. All right, December 10th, Ernest Howard Shepard, who illustrated A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh books, is born in St. John's Wood, London, England, which is only a five-minute walk from the birthplace of Milne. Um, he's often referred to as E.H. Shepard. He was also known for his human-like animal illustrations for The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Mary Shepard, his daughter, though, is also famous for illustrating a series of books that were used for two Disney films. What series of books did Mary Shepard illustrate? I honestly, I think I actually know the answer for this one, too. Okay. Is it Mary Poppins? It is. P.L. Travers, Mary Poppins. Very good. Of course, two Disney films. Of course, one has not opened yet. Yes. um, That we talked about earlier in the show, Mary Poppins Returns. Them. 
Okay, I, I, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if you got this next one. December 11th, 1992, Walt Disney Pictures released the fourth feature film to star the Muppets. What is the film's title? Oh, <laughs> the Muppet Christmas Carol. That's right. And this is the first film distributed by Walt Disney Pictures, the first Muppet film. Yep. And it's the first produced after the passing of Muppets creator Jim Henson. The film is directed by Jim Henson's son, Brian, and stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. And is one of the greatest films to ever be made, period. It, you know, it is a really wonderful retelling of Christmas Carol, because Christmas Carol is one of my favorite books and uh, for the holidays and like i said in a previous show i have like five versions yeah of of film versions of christmas carol and this is one of them and i think they do a nice job with they it. do and it's yeah. a great blend of humor but still honoring and respecting the story at points and just uh just you know takes that wonderful message of of a christmas carol and brings it to life and i mm -hmm. i think it, this will be one version that never slips into obscurity i agree absolutely so okay well for december 12th the disneyland resort hotel reopens as disney's paradise pier hotel on december 12 2000 the 502 room hotel has been brightly painted and decorated to reflect the new beachfront theme and offers hotel guests a private entrance into paradise pier and the rest of the new disney's california adventure theme park what was the hotel's previous name before this refurbishment Gosh, I should know this one because because Pete used to talk about it all. Well, anytime we do like a seven and seven out there or any coverage, and he talked about Paradise Pier, he always talked about the original. I know that it was owned by the Japanese, I believe, and mm -hmm. was built for the Olympics in that right. time period for housing. And it was um, called the Emerald back then okay yeah because carol and i stayed there for my 30th birthday um let's see was it like the pan pacific or something it was at one time it was something like that too but for this one it was the disneyland pacific hotel okay okay it had many names yeah this hotel Okay, on December 13th, 1975, the Walt Disney Company announces it will begin construction of this in 1976 instead of 1977 as originally planned. Oh, I'm assuming that it would probably be Epcot, considering that's the next thing to kind of open up in that time frame. Yeah, Epcot Center. Going to open up, start a year early. Okay, on December 14th, 1961, Walt Disney released his first live-action musical feature film. What is the title of this film? Uh, oh, I know. Um, Babes in Toyland. That's right. Yep, starring Ray Bolger, Tommy Sands, Annette Funicello, and Ed Wynn. So, um, and is this one of the films you watch every year? Yes, it is. It is now. Um, I'm still, you know, we, we all know that the March of the Wooden Soldiers is synonymous with Christmas. But um, other than that, I'm, I I didn't ever know it really as a Christmas movie leading up to, to when I finally 
um, have started to embrace it. So it still doesn't have the Christmas vibes for me, but knowing that it does have the background in the, in the story with Christmas and it was released around Christmas, I, I do embrace it as a Christmas mm-hmm. movie. But yeah. um, And I know it's even in the plot, too. It just it, There's nothing super Christmassy about it at all. No. Yeah. Now, and you talked about the March of the Wooden Soldier sequence, and uh, Ward Kimball, animator Ward Kimball, he was an avid toy collector. Um, he headed the special units set up um, for that sequence, and they made more than 100 toys just for this scene. Yeah, it's a, it's a great sequence. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's worth watching the entire movie, if you've never seen it before, just for this one moment. It is. It is. I, Walt Disney was a bit disappointed with it, but um, of course, then he, he they went on to make Mary Poppins a few years later. Yeah, it's a good bounce back. So, mm-hmm. but it's you can't hit him. You can't always hit home runs the first yeah. time you step up to bat at a new a new concept. Okay. Well, on Thursday, December fifteenth, nineteen sixty six, Walter Elias Disney passes away at St. Joseph's Hospital of acute circulatory collapse caused by lung cancer, just ten days after his sixty fifth birthday. A rare occurrence took place at Disneyland that evening. Do you know what happened? Mm, I'll give you a hint. It was a meteorological occurrence. A meteorologic? No, I do not know what happened then. Okay. Okay, that evening, as Disneyland's Fantasy on Parade, a special presentation for the holiday season, steps off for the first time, an unusually cold night for Anaheim, that a melancholy Disneyland experiences a light snow. Oh my gosh. I've yeah, never heard that in any yeah. of the stories. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It really is. Yeah. Wow. Oh, to be there on that. I mean, obviously for that day, just because of its importance. But then if it was just having a light snow, too. Oh, man. That's Mm -hmm. I dream of Disneyland in the snow. I know. I've seen Tokyo Disneyland in the snow. I've experienced that. But um, but, and that was magical. It was incredibly cold. Yeah, but it was magical. So, um, I remember on the the Jungle Cruise that there weren't a lot of people in the park that day. Yeah, and so Carol and I are going on the. I think it was either the Jungle Cruise or it was the little boat that they have that goes around. But I think it was the Jungle Cruise, and they were the the cast members are making little snow figures, snowmen, at the entrance. Yeah, <laughs> all that that was cute. So now, one day I will see Tokyo in the snow, and I will also see Paris. That's my goal. I think Disneyland Paris in the snow would be amazing. Yeah. I've only seen photos and videos of it. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. So, so Craig, until next time, where can our listeners find you on the Dis Unplugged Network shows? As always, you can find me throughout the week, Tuesdays on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, Thursdays on the Universal Edition, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, uh, random days on the Dis Daily Fix, and that's about it. But always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Look at the one with the... Um, 
connecting with Walt Banner for Disney content. But if you're on my personal page, I've been uploading uh, every day. I have a new um, British Christmas advertisement, television advertisement on there. So if you enjoy that, you can go ahead and take a look at those. I do that every year. Um, on Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz, and you can connect with both me and Craig on our official Twitter page for Connecting with Walt. It's at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.